I'm Debbie Travis. And I'm Tommy Smythe. And this is Trust Me, I'm a Decorator. Alice, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for inviting me. Hi, Alice. We're so excited to have you. This is the first time on this podcast that we've had a beauty expert. I'm honored. I can see in your background, you've got all those beautiful books. I love a learned woman. You're a journalist who has been for several years exploring the world of beauty myths versus beauty truths. I know we have a million questions. We're going to try to get through half a million of them today. But you know Debbie a little bit, sort of, yeah. through Instagram, yes? Your Insta pals? Kind of, yeah. kind of. I don't know. Do you follow me, Alice? No. I do. I do. Oh, you do? Oh, okay. Yes, I do. And I see you in your lovely retreats in your olive oil. Oh, okay. Oh, yes. <laughs> Debbie's always slathered in olive oil. That's why she looks so good. She's absolutely glowing, I have to say. Well, I'm sitting in the dark. My my selfie light thing blew up about 10 minutes ago. So I'm kind of, I've got, I've got like a, a spotlight on me. It's a new year. We all have resolutions uh, and we all, it's new year, new you type of thing. And there's always that wish list that you'll do something better, something new as the new year unfolds. But I want to say how we kind of met through Instagram. And I'm going to apologize profusely because Instagram is a, a place where people can be very um, rude uh, and, and sometimes passive aggressive and all that kind of stuff. So I follow you because I'm fascinated by what you're discovering all the time and researching. And you posted something where your lips were all blown up. You use yourself, and we'll explain what happened later, but you use yourself as a guinea pig kind of thing. So yeah, I must have been in a crappy mood or something. And I just wrote back, God, you're so pretty. Why can't you just leave yourself alone or something like that? And not expect, completely forgot about it. And then I saw this reply, which was so um, professional and kind. And, you know, if that had been the other way around, I would have just said, well, fuck you, you know, you know, but, but you actually wrote back and said, um, well, actually, this is my job and this is what I do. And, and yes, you are absolutely right. And, and I said, I'm so sorry. Do you want to come on our podcast? <laughs> and that's how this unrolled. So I don't know if you've invented this word, but it's become part of our kind of vocabulary at the moment. It's called a tweakment. And it's absolutely brilliant because I think it takes away the fear and the kind of the hard lines of, you know, the, the old fashioned type of surgery or, you know, it's all or nothing type of thing. And a tweakment can make sense. It's exactly that, isn't it? Tweaking. It is. It's a slightly fine line because yeah, it's easy to understand because as soon as you say these are non-surgical cosmetic procedures, people are bored already and they don't quite know what you mean. But uh, the only thing I worry about with tweakments is it makes them sound a bit cozy, a bit friendly, a bit easy, accessible, almost like a beauty treatment. And these things are quite serious. So I try and walk that line between saying these things are increasingly widely available, stuff like fillers and wrinkle relaxing toxins and lasers and chemical peels and, and all the rest. But they are basically medical procedures, medical procedures with cosmetic effects. So yeah, they're tweaking your appearance, but you need to be thoughtful and careful about how you do it. You need to find the right people um, and do it with awareness rather than like, oh yeah, I'll just rush off and have this because my friend had it. You also cover a lot of things like, you know, facials, which now are getting <laughs> A, so expensive, but B, to me, a facial a few years ago was, you know, that lovely relaxing afternoon, you know, you, you got your face steamed, cleaned, squeezed. A few serums, which of course we nobody had even heard of a serum in those days, and and you only had it when you went for a facial. 
and you walked out looking great for a few hours. But now it's covering all these kind of glow things. Yeah, all of it, all of it. And anything, you can have anything as part of a facial. I know you were asking about what you should try when you come to London next week. And I, I thought, ooh, <laughs> what should I suggest? But I think you should start with something straightforward and not too challenging, but very effective, like a hydrofacial or a wild facial. And these are facials that basically deep cleanse your skin, but using a, a device with a whirling vortex of water, if that makes sense, to sort of purge the skin. But then they use a few acids, quite gentle ones, to soften up the gunk in your skin. They hoover it out again. They cram in lots of really effective serums. And then they soothe you under a nice canopy of red light. So that uh, calms the skin down. So, but you can, you're absolutely right. You can have facials with microneedling, with a bit of laser, with radio frequency. You know, all of these things stimulate the skin in different ways. But yeah, if you go in expecting a bit of pampering and you're suddenly uh, <laughs> likely run over with some microneedling device, it's like, whoa, hang on. It's not quite the pampering that it used to be. But there are some fabulous people who combine both. You know, they do a lot of the hands on stuff, you know, which, which is wonderful for lymphatic drainage and all the rest. Yeah, but you're making sense of a lot of it, which I think is so important to people because it is people's choice, isn't it? I try, I try. So you have something called a, a, the Treatments Guide. That is this like a magazine? Yes, it's a website and it's like an online encyclopedia of all things treatments. So I explain what these things are, this huge long list of any treatment you've possibly heard of from plasma skin resurfacing to... Um, you know, just basic skin reconditioning and also all the concerns. So you could go in and take a look and think, well, I, my problem is rough, dry skin or acne scarring. And you could look at all the things that might be relevant to that. And then you can find great practitioners who offer these because I've been writing about this area for about 25 years. So I've had the immense privilege of working with some brilliant people in this area. And the whole area has become miles more popular, um, you know, year on year, particularly in the last decade. And so now a lot of people know about these things, whereas 20 years ago, you know, they were a very tiny niche pursuit only for the bold, the rich, the famous, the celebs. And it's absolutely vital to go to a good practitioner because particularly in the UK, there are no rules about who can do these procedures. So, so the vet is out. Anyone... Um, your postman, your florist uh, <laughs> yeah. can inject you with filler quite legally over here. And and that means there's a lot of terrible work. People see the terrible work, think the whole thing is bad. So I have a list of great practitioners here as well. I feel like I'm picturing a little storefront that's called English Rose Flowers and Botox. <laughs> I kid you not, I bet it's out there. I think it's really important to highlight, and I'm very excited about this for our listeners, because I think that many people, men and women alike, have a great deal of difficulty navigating this particular sector of, yes, of so right. health and wellness. It's it's really about health and wellness, but it's also about beauty and about appearance. And not a lot of people are actually held to journalistic standards because you're an actual journalist with an education who's held to standards. I think that's really important because the rest of us are all just trying to navigate these TikToks and YouTube videos <laughs> telling us what to do with our faces and your face. You know, it, it's important to take care of your face. I actually had a hydrofacial a couple of times. Oh, yeah. What do you reckon? And my favorite part, my favorite part about it 
is that they do this disgusting thing at the very end where they show you the swirling liquid <laughs> no. that has all the crap that's come out of your face floating in it. It's disgusting and also so compelling and fascinates my favorite part. So it's like a colonoscopy for the face. And then they say, take a picture, a gunky, with all the gunk that's come out of your face. Seriously, it's, it's hugely. You do hashtag gunky, you'll, you'll find them. Hashtag gunky, oh my god! Oh my gosh, I've never done that. I have to do that. But as Tommy says, it's really compelling. But you're so right, because it's a difficult area to navigate because nobody talks about it, because still yeah. it's quite taboo among older people, among anybody who feels they're going to be judged harshly by their friends or family for it. So exactly. because people don't talk about it, they don't know about it, they don't know where to go and find it. They, it, It's all a bit underground, and I'm trying to open the, up the conversation. It's all underground, yeah. You know, that's what I think is the most fascinating thing, because it is this underground thing of, you know the friend who's done it, you know the friend who hasn't done it. Everybody's hiding it. But I, I, I do feel with this treatment idea, nobody would hide the fact that they've had a facial or a pedicure or their teeth done even, you know. Um, but suddenly mm. it gets into yeah. a facelift or, you know, injectables and things. And then, then it's like, oh, we don't discuss that. But somehow with the treatment where you can say, God, where did you get, did you have, you know, your face looks amazing or whatever. And you can say, well, actually I, I went the next level and I had this supersonic facial that does this, you know, so all the borders are kind of going down. We're still not going, yeah, I got pulled and tucked last week. Um, but, you know, we are very, especially as women, I think, quite um, harsh about judging each other. Gays too. Also gays, Debbie. Yeah, and gays too. And well, everybody really. But, you know, if you think back to like when you were a teenager, I didn't have spots, but uh, one of my sisters did, had very bad acne. And I remember the, the pain of watching her some days was good, some days wasn't. The not good days was coming downstairs at 14, you know, with your head looking down because – their face was exploded, you know, and the same thing as getting older, you know, uh, which come, seems to come so quickly um, that the dullness sets in as you, as you get older. And, you know, I live in Italy, so there's this constant, wonderful sunshine and you feel so great because you've got a little bit of a tan, you're glowing because you're outside all the time. But the minute kind of Tommy and I were just talking before we came on about November and how miserable it is, everything seems to like, it's like your, your sheen and your gloss has just sucked away, you know, it's horrible. So we're all looking for that thing to look like we've, we're brightened up. And, and, and age is, I think that's the cruelest thing about age. I don't really care about wrinkles, but I do care about that just, wow, you look great, you know, that, that's all, you know, that you look like you've got a bit of a glow. That's a difficult thing with these, these procedures because everybody just wants that, the looking refreshed, um, the looking healthy, looking like you've got a glow. And yet people are very fearful of looking overdone, looking weird, and they're not sure if they step up for one of these things, which way it's going to go. Do you think people are doing less of the harder stuff though, like fillers? And no. But, well, the numbers of people who are engaging with all of this, um, the numbers of treatments for everything is increasing massively. It's uh, the, the whole field is broadening. You know, it, It's like with anything, you know, with cars or color televisions, you, know, you start off it, with it being the preserve of, of the, the rich who can access these things or, or, or airline travel. And then gradually it broadens out. And we're now at a point where these things are very widely available. Um, people have more knowledge of them. They can certainly find out a lot about them online. So they will go and, and try things, but they'll often go and try things without 
that much thought and research and judgment behind it. And I would say it's always absolutely vital to know what you're stepping up for. Because uh, the number of people who, who say to me on social media, I didn't know that I'd end up looking like this. I didn't know quite what it would involve. And you, well, your practitioner should have talked you through this. Um, but maybe if they went to a clinic where it's all packing everybody in and getting through the procedures as fast as possible, there wasn't quite that much care and attention. It, it's a really difficult thing because the, the best practitioners are more expensive than other people. If people say, well, that's very, that makes it a very elitist thing. You think, well, this is an entirely elective thing to do, like uh, buying designer fashion or something. And I kind of think if you want to do it properly, you need to know that you would be best off finding somebody who's really good at it because it's your face. Uh, you, you're going to have to go and you know, carry the results with you if it's if it's not so good. It can be emotionally quite expensive um, as well as having to go and get stuff done again. But, let, but let's say you, you're trying to decide, okay, do you go for the, let's, let's miss out facelifts and things like that because that's like one extreme. But then let's say you want to, the fillers are changing yeah. a bit, I think, and, 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 and the materials they use. And then there's things like um, the microdermably, all, all that kind of stuff. My big fear is, okay, you could go and spend – 2000 on a an amazing facial that promises an appeal and, and everything but will that last i mean it's no good while it's just looking good on the bus home and then you wake up in the morning it's like when you go to the hairdressers and you look i mean we all look our best at the hairdressers and by the time you get home or you or you're going out that night you're like why did i bother you know because we want longevity with it as well sure well you you need to work out what's really bothering you uh, what your key concern is, and that's different for everybody because for some people it's it's a socking great wrinkle down the middle of their face. For some other people it's pigmentation or sunspots, you know, from, from holiday. For other people it will be different factors like acne scarring and and it's then spending your money wisely to treat the thing which is going to make a difference to you. One very eminent doctor told me years ago of how he learned to listen to all the patients that come in um, and not to presume by looking at them what they would want done because at the end of the day, you know, he was feeling kind of quite bullish and this woman came in and sat down and, and he said, oh, Mrs. Smith, you'll be here about that great hairy mole on your face. And Mrs. Smith looked <laughs> baffled and outraged and said, what mole? I, I'm, I'm here about my wrinkles. And he thought, oh, that, that will teach me wow. never again. When I, I had a message the other day, you know, I get, I get a lot of random messages on Instagram, which I love. It's always useful. But saying, you do all these procedures, but you've got all these lumps and bumps on your face. Why on earth don't Ugh. you take those off? I think, gosh, um, many reasons. Um, they don't bother me, I guess, is the key thing. Also, I'm trying these treatments for work, so I'm usually trying to prove a point with them. Either, is this treatment good for reducing pigmentation? I will have my face photographed with some imaging equipment, which will show the extent of redness and pigmentation, I'll have the treatment, I'll wait till it takes effect, I'll get it re-imaged and we'll see the difference just to try and show. Yeah, I think that's an amazing point because sometimes it doesn't bother you until somebody points something out. And if it doesn't bother you, if you haven't noticed it, why even go there? And I had right in the middle of my cheek, a freckle, Yeah, all the, you know, all the way through. And, and then suddenly one day, uh, a photographer had done some images, some f publicity pictures, and he said, do you want me to take that lump off your cheek? 
<laughs> that's my kind of Mae West, you know, Lizzie Crawford record, you know. Yeah. And then I noticed that over, and I hadn't, something you look at every day is your face. I hadn't noticed that the freckle had long gone, had faded, and I was left with just a little bump, you know. But it's in right in the middle of my cheek. And and I think the, the pigment must have faded over the years. And and. So I said, no, just leave it and everything. But then I, then I, then you start looking and going, oh, God, what should I do? I hate it and whatever. It's difficult. Yeah, and now I sit with my hand on my face if I'm talking to somebody. Because the thing is with bumps, yes, they can be removed. And I've had yeah. a little tiny bump right where my zip of my jeans was. And it used to catch. And years and years ago, yeah. I asked a doctor, he said, I can remove that in two seconds. It doesn't matter, but... <laughs> But it leaves a, a hole. It leaves a mark. So I have to decide, do I want this little raised tiny bump on the middle of my cheek or do I want a hole? Well, I think I'd rather have the raised thing. But the sad part about having this one on my stomach removed, it was about 20 years ago, is there is a little tiny, tiny hole, like the top of the end of a pencil. But it's no longer on my stomach. It's round the side now. It's <laughs> 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 completely changed shape. I mean, you can't win, can you? That's life, yeah. Well, that leads me to a question. I mean, we're talking quite frankly about these procedures and treatments and what they can do for your body. But Alice, you know, how far into the exploration of the mental health uh, issues that are associated with the beauty industry have you been able to do a deep dive into? That's a very good question. I, I haven't gone as far as I'd like to in that, but I'm, I know it's a very uh, key issue at the moment, body dysmorphia, to what extent it's there, among um, patients who seek aesthetic treatment, they are more likely to have body dysmorphia than others. There's also a certain incidence of it among practitioners. Interesting. I spend a good deal of time going to aesthetic conferences in the, in the UK and around the world, and you see a lot of very unusual faces, which their owners must think is, is their best face ever, because these conferences are huge things in the schedule. They don't take anybody by surprise. So this must be peak face as, as far as these, these people are concerned. That's what they want to look like. Um, but it looks odd and wrong to, to some of us. But the difficulty for practitioners here is that they get a lot of younger people particularly coming in saying, I don't look like I looked here and showing them a picture on their phone. The practitioner will look and say, well, this is filtered. Uh, also, this is distorted by the the phone camera, sure. you know, so you never looked like this anyway, but but you have to say that in a gentle way because they'll rush in saying, I need this done or that done. In order to match this image that is not real. Or in order to keep up with, they, a, they perceive it's a rite of passage, a lot of young women in the UK at the moment, that they will go and have cheap lip filler and blow their lips up because they feel that's just a hallmark of beauty. And it's really difficult to shoot them down to say, um, yeah, you are gorgeous anyway by the way, and you don't have to have this done. And if you start having this done now, are you seriously going to go on having this done every year for the next few decades? Every autumn, I get a bunch of concerned mothers messaging me saying, look, I'm in a fix because my daughter wants lip filler. She's about to go to university. I could take her to a lovely practitioner in the city, wherever nearest to where they live. They're reluctant to do that, but they know if they don't, the daughter will wait till she's in the university town, go off and find a cheap option and probably look not great as a result. It's a fascinating aspect of it. And I, you know, there's a television program called Selling Sunset, which is about Los Angeles real estate professionals. And my yes. partner, Patrick, loves this show and has kind of like, because it's on television, I 
end up watching it. And we've seen all the seasons of the show year after year, year over year. The faces of the women on the show have changed so dramatically from the first season to the same people from the first season to the current season. Wow. That after watching the current season, the end of it, I, I remarked to Patrick, you know, it's so fascinating to me that many of the characters on this show who looked like different people in the first season now look like very similar to being the same face. It's almost the same face on each woman. And I think it's really interesting because I love the idea of tweakments. And I worry about the idea of like, when do you cross the line between tweakments and when does it go too far? I look at your face, Alice, you have a beautiful face, but you don't have one of those Los Angeles, Hollywood, very kind, puffed out mask faces. You have expression, your face moves, but it's still beautiful for your age. I happen to know, we should all tell our ages. How old are you, Alice? I'm 60. Debbie? I'm not saying, I'm not saying 110. I know how old you are. Don't you dare. And I'm 53. And f- at 53, you know, for, for a male, because I'm a gay male, I look a lot younger than my contemporaries who are straight at 53. Yeah. Because straight men don't do what I do. But I have little things that I do. You know, I whiten my teeth. Yeah. Um, I darken my eyebrows because those kinds of things, thicker eyebrows and whiter teeth are hallmarks of youth that are very easy to achieve because it's literally a tweakment. It's not like a, yeah. Yeah. it's not a facelift. Um, do I hate my neck? Of course I do. Look at how many, look at this. You can see it. Like, I hate my neck. It looks lovely from here, Tommy. hate my neck, Alice. <laughs> you look lovely, Tommy. But I love my face. I like that my face moves. I like the way that it looks. I have never had needles or I've never had Botox or Restylane or anything like that yet. But I would absolutely do it when the time comes that I feel that I need it. So I think there's a big conversation to have about like when you're crossing a line and and when you're just having, you know, a little fun with it and really making yourself feel your best. But who would want the same face all those years? Who would want the same face? (laughs) Think of any of the very famous actresses who look absolutely amazing now and they're in their 50s and they have looked pretty well the same as they have done for the last 20, 25 years. Yeah. but those are tweakments, right? They're just keeping it going. I don't know if it's tweakments. I don't know if it's surgery. They've, they, most of them are very well managed. If it's well done, you you just don't notice. you know, Because people say to, to, to me the whole time, they say, oh, I've never seen good work with fillers. And I say, well, you absolutely have. You just haven't noticed it because it's good. It looks natural. It looks appropriate. Because it's good. Exactly. Yeah, well, Alice, you should say, you've seen me. <laughs> I mean, you've been experimenting with your own face for years. And yeah, you look amazing. Okay, so that's what always gets you because people then say to me, have you had any of this done? Anything? Yes, and, I, and I've documented it. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Tommy, what are some of your best relationships? There are a lot. My relationship with my partner, my family, people I've worked with over the years. And somebody's missing there, I think. Oh, yeah. And you, of course. That goes without saying, Debbie. That was a nice save. You know, there's a misconception that in order for a relationship to be right, it needs to be easy. Yeah, I don't know. I think the best relationships are the ones that you work on together to make them really good. You know, therapy can be a place to help you work through the challenges you face in all your relationships, whether it's friends, work, your significant other, family, anyone. So whether you're in Toronto or Tuscany, BetterHelp will fit your schedule. Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit betterhelp.com slash decorator today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash decorator. 
This episode sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey, Tommy Smythe here. Thank God I have a few minutes to myself without my co-host. <laughs> I mean, you've been there. You've been overwhelmed before too. I think most people carry around some kind of stress. And here at the Trust Me Pod, it's, Debbie, did you put your devices on Do Not Disturb? Debbie, do you have your microphone? <laughs> and when we have a guest, I just hope to get in one little question. Listen, sometimes it's hard to keep all your feelings all bottled up because you know what happens when you do. It bubbles over, you lose your cool, and maybe you take it out on someone you love. Obviously, I love Debbie. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever it is that's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient and flexible. Whether you're in Toronto or Tuscany, BetterHelp will fit your schedule. Get it off your chest. Visit betterhelp.com slash decorator to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash decorator. Today, I have been off having my hands injected, by the backs of my hands injected with um, a skin reconditioning um, agent, a sort of skin booster, which is made from hyaluronic acid. It's very fluid and it's just under the skin and it will soften um, the, the crepiness. It will encourage regeneration of the skin. I've had three treatments over three months and in another few weeks, but I can see already it's looking great. Um, so, so yeah, but, but that's where I've been this morning. Um, that's a fascinating thing to mention because my mother always said for years, we used to go in the wintertime to Palm Beach, Florida, and Palm Beach, Florida has always been a playground for very, very wealthy women. And so early days in the 1970s and the 1980s, when plastic surgery became more common among the wealthy class, you would see people all over the place who'd had procedures done in that place. You wouldn't see them up here in Toronto, but in Palm Beach, you definitely saw the work. At this time, there were no tweakments, really. There were no fillers. There was no, you know, toxins um, that would help your muscles relax. It was really actually surgery. And my mother used to always say, do you see that woman over there? From behind, she looks 30. When she turns around, she'll look 30. But look at her hands. Her hands will be the dead giveaway every time. Always. Always. Yeah. And so now that there's hand treatments, I'm kind of, I feel encouraged about that because I actually sometimes look at my, old, my own hands and think, oh, well, there it is. There's my actual age. My face doesn't look that old, but the hands definitely do. My hands are so gone because of all the toxins because I was a painter, Alice. And, and um, Oh, yeah, yes, of course. And, wow. and I remember people saying, you should wear gloves. And I'm like, oh, you, you just didn't feel the pain. You know, it was very hard to be artistic with latex gloves on. So the skin is very crepey, a bit horrible, but I've also got loads and loads of brown spots and I had them done. I'm just going to tell you, it's the one thing I have done. I had them done a few years ago and they came and it, I think it made the skin weaker. I mean, first of all, it looks awful, doesn't it? When you first do it, because it goes really dark, the spots. And then I remember having a big meeting and some guy from LA staring at me thinking, we're not putting her on television, having to sit on my hands through lunch. But then they came back and I think it came back worse. I don't know. It won't come back worse. It will have actually made the skin stronger, oddly enough. But if you're seeing more age spots, it'll just be with time, your skin will be bringing up more pigmentation to the surface. And what you're seeing is the accumulation of pigment over time. So I'm just hoping they'll all blend together. So I'll have brown hands. 
they will or, or more treatment, but it, it it's not making it worse. It's making it better, but but it's an ongoing problem. It doesn't stop the problem from happening. It's like if you have tiny red veins, which I get across my cheeks and around my nose. I get that too. You can have them zapped with a laser or with intense pulse light, like like the brown spots, just on a slightly different setting for the redness. Oh, that's and good that will get rid of them. But people say, oh, I had the treatment, but they came back. Well, they didn't come back. It's just new ones have formed. If you're the kind of person whose face makes those things, it's going to go on doing it. And what you're, but what you're doing is just helping reduce the uh, visibility of the of the problem at the time. But it, it doesn't mean it didn't work. But and if you hadn't had it done, it goes back to the practitioner, doesn't it, Alice? Because I've had that done actually. And he said, there's not much you can do about it. It's part of the aging process. He said that I could drink less. I refused. And he, <laughs> and then he said, you'll just have to come back once in a while. I've only had the procedure twice. Lasts forever. And when new ones come back, when there's enough of them, I go back in and get zapped again. But I have had that procedure done and it's quite successful and it really works. Alice, do you find that, um, like anything, it go, things have kind of go out of fashion and maybe don't come back. Because I remember years and years ago in my kind of mid days in television, especially when I was doing stuff in Toronto, there was a real fashion for younger people. In, I'm talking like mid, even early twenties and they were doing the threading and, you know, I'd be sitting there like 45, 50 and these girls were like, 20 years younger than me and they had these these threads on and my fear was that there's always a, a counter I think the body battles doesn't it it's like going on a diet it fights to get back to nope this is where you're going to be type of thing um and and I always find that if is it like if they're stretching these muscles if they're pulling stuff out of shape is it going to just bounce back later or are all those people I always wonder where are those women and men where are they today? I'd love to see them and see, maybe they've had more stuff done, I don't know, but did it all just sag worse? Is it better to have left alone or started so young? Because there was a really big push. Maybe there still is. There is um, always a, a body of thought that will point out that preventative treatment, like having preventative wrinkle um, relaxing treatment will stop lines from setting in and forming. And it's it's been well proven. There are studies in, in the academic literature that, that shows this. But on the other hand, you have people like me who never knew to even start this till they were coming up to 40 and who had plenty of lines. It works very well. So the only trouble I have with the preventative treatment as, as an idea is that it makes the younger people who are lovely anyway and who maybe don't see it and are overly anxious about how they look, it makes them have more unrealistic expectations of how they should be looking, that they shouldn't have any wrinkles, that it's somehow wrong to have wrinkles. Um, threads on younger faces, I think is completely superfluous. I mean, thre what threads are good for? What are they? Can I just ask what they are? Is it for your whiskers? No, they're like they're like dissolvable sutures. So they are made from polyalactic acid or something, and they're a long, like a like a very fine piece of fishing line, but made from this dissolvable suture material. And they are for when your face has gone all droopy like this, you can pick it up physically. So they are run through the skin tissues. They have little barbs on them to secure them in place. So they are run through the tissues, and then they are tightened to pull everything up and reposition the tissues. And you have to slightly overdo it because then as the threads relax into place over the next couple of weeks, they will soften down a bit. But 
if they are done well, and I can't stress the if enough, then they can give great results and they can last for a couple of years. But you want a practitioner who does pretty well nothing but threads, really understands all the different ones on the market because there are different ones with different strengths, different ways of positioning them. Um, and people who don't do a lot of them, you can get some very patchy looking results. Also, also there's been a terrible trend the past few years for, for creating fox eye where, where you, know, you want your eyebrow not to droop down at the end, but to go out like that. Um, like the Hadid girls, a sort of fox tail eye, which they will do by putting threads up here. But you know the threads have to go kind of through the fat layer, and there's, there's very little up there to secure a, a thread in. So the whole idea makes me feel very squeamish, and and it doesn't always look very good. So to your point, Debbie, I I don't think there's any need to start early. I find it quite difficult because the people who promote treatments in this area, it used to be just about tackling signs of aging in older women, you know, 25, 30 years ago. And then 10, 15 years ago, it started to be about beautification for everybody, including the younger demographic. And that has is what's led to all, um, you know, the youngsters thinking they need that, that sort of snatched jawline, that contoured cheek, which these products can give because it's just amplifying their natural beauty. Um, and it can be very effective, yeah. I posted that we would be talking to you. Oh, my goodness. We had so many letters, and it's funny. <laughs> a lot of them were actually from parents, like you said, exactly that, kids going off to uni or they're, uh, you know, they're leaving home, and, and what should they do? And, and parents very worried and, and afraid. Um, but the other was, um, I think <laughs> the number one thing that comes up is lips. And people are asking how long – does it does it take? How do you avoid that kind of what do they call it? The duck lip, you know, where they look like you're <laughs> trout pout. How do you avoid that? That's a great that? expression. I've never heard that one. Trout pout. A trout pout. I was actually standing in Manchester in the north of England a few years ago, waiting to check in in the airport, and the girl behind the counter, people went quiet because her lips looked like two sausages. Like they were going to split. So when you put sausages in the pan and they open up and it was like, you thought any minute her lips would burst open and she, and she could barely speak. And, and you just wanted to give her a hug and say, look, love, you know, come on. But then again, you know, are you judging? Are you, it's her life, it's her thing, or was it a mistake? But are there ways of, cause your lips do get thinner you know, without a doubt. And, you know, the day of the lip pencil, I think is a little, and they don't, you know, lip pencil, it can look really awful. And, and also it doesn't, and Tommy couldn't use a lip pencil and a guy can grow a mustache, but women are, you know, stuck with their lips. But is there ways of doing it um, gently and softly? Not that I'm thinking of doing it, but you know. Yeah. It, it's all down to the skill of the practitioner you choose. And somebody who will study your face carefully, and treat you appropriately. Um, and, and not necessarily, a lot of people will rush off to have their lips done, but that's like going and painting the front door of your house and not even looking at the rest of the facade is, is, is falling to pieces or in need of some attention. You do not want to have a pair of lips that walk into the room before you do, either because they're sticking forward or because they're huge and amazing, but the, and the rest of your face isn't noticed. You know, people should be noticing your eyes. And with lips, we're all different and what looks right on one person absolutely doesn't on another. And some people have a small mouth. They, they can't just have a lot of filler put in there. I get an endless question saying, should I have one mil or two in my lips? And that's impossible. I, I don't know who you are, what you look like. 
if you've got a huge mouth and it's gone very flat, maybe one will be appropriate. But I mean, the last time I had my lips injected, it was like 0.3 mils in either lip, you know, tiny amounts. And you've also got to be careful because I've reached the point where the philtrum, this bit from the skin between my nose and my upper lip, has it, which gets longer with age. So in a young person, the upper lip will sit nicely on the teeth, showing some teeth. Um, you see this in all these gorgeous models. As we get older, that lip drops down. So what you see when you talk is, is mainly the lower teeth. And when that philtrum is long and your lip is down there and you stuff this upper lip full of filler, the lip will just stick it forward. It doesn't go up. It's not going to sit up prettily. It just goes forward. So you still have no teeth. Not really, no. But now you've got these great big fleshy, yes, okay. But you've got a big lip and you probably get a shelf above it because the lip filler will migrate uh into the skin above, lip filler can migrate. And it's the idea of doing, it's the idea, I wish people could sit, maybe you can see us a bit at home, but if, you li- if you're listening to this when you're in the car or you're on a walk, we're both, we can see ourselves, we're all kind of putting and pushing into, so, so yes. the upper lip, the bit between, what's it called between the nose and the lip? The philtrum, P-H-I-L-T-R-U-M. So that bit, you know, if you think of a horse's lip and how long that is, I always think of, you yeah. know, you, you get that kind of long horse's lip flopping flopping forward. But putting filler into the body of the lip isn't going to make it sit up nicely. And I've had practitioners tell me what I actually need is a surgical operation called the lip lift, where- The flip? Is that the flip? No, not a, not a lip flip. A lip flip can make- it. A lip flip, okay, for people listening, a lip flip, it sounds mad, is tiny injections of wrinkle relaxing toxin into the tiny muscles just above um, your upper lip, it relaxes them. And the result is that the outer border, the very edge of your lip, where you'd put the lip liner, starts to roll upwards a little bit. So you do see more lip. It's got to be done really carefully because if you disable those muscles too much, you can't blow <laughs> a kiss or suck on a straw or, or, or whatever. And, and your mouth can, I, I haven't ever had it done um, I should go just just to see what it's like. But a, a lip lift is a surgical procedure where they make what they call a bullhorn incision around the lower nostrils. So if you imagine a kind of moustache shape under the nose, curling around the wow. edge of the nostrils, and then they cut out a bit of skin and lift the whole thing up. That sounds so extreme and so painful. It is it is extreme and it takes about a year for it to heal properly and you've got to have a really good surgeon otherwise you will be left with a, a visible scar. Um, that all seems a step too far to me. I'll just keep on smiling yeah. because <laughs> when you smile, like I'm smiling at Debbie and Tommy now, it it raise, improves your, because it picks up your cheeks, that sort of improves the volume in this area by 12%. I know those are the, the figures that show the difference between long face, normal and raised face and that also shows he so keep smiling really that's all we need and when you smile at people they often smile back and it cheers everybody up so you know nobody has to do these things that's something i i I have to keep emphasizing you know just because i talk about them the whole time and this is what i do um you, you know the world has existed without these things for a very long time and having good healthy skin is is absolutely the first step for anybody who is curious about making themselves look a bit brighter um, come the new year. I think nobody's interested in skincare um, at the end of the year, but I think you know, for when, when it comes to January and February and we're thinking of um, 
how we can brighten ourselves up because we all look a bit duller in the winter because, uh, you know, we, we just do. We've got cold weather dragging the moisture out of our skin and making our skin a bit redder and rougher. Um, so, yeah, looking after your skin, that is the first step. And, and that's actually the first thing that any treatments practitioner will encourage potential patients to do before they do any procedures on them. And I know there's lots of people who you, you know, you just walk in, you pay your money, you get injected, you walk out. I'm talking about the kind of high caliber practitioners who will be consulting you fully as a person, what your expectations are, what your lifestyle's like, you know, what you're hoping to do for yourself. And they'll want to get you started on good skincare before you think about doing anything else to your face because the skin is the fabric of the face. And if that's not in good condition, um, the results of any uh, treatments aren't really going to show because, you know, wrinkle relaxing toxins, they will stop your frown lines from being there, but they're not going to do anything for skin quality. Um, they can help. They're fantastic um, toxin injections for, for relaxing muscle grinding. I'm now pointing at my the corners of my jaw, which get very tense. I, I, I clench my teeth overnight. I find it's the most immense relief to have regular toxin injections in there. We're just going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. If you're enjoying this podcast, trust me, I'm a decorator with me, Debbie Travis. And me, Tommy Smythe. Please rate us, send in a review, and make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, I saw a doctor in London because suddenly I was getting jaw pain Ooh. and I went to see her and she said, it's, they don't know why, maybe because more people go to the doctor for it, but it's kind of gone through the roof. And it's like usually one side of the jaw and it's ten tensing wow. because you're, you're busy. And she gave me a great tip. She said, because suddenly you, 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 see, you, you kind of see yourself doing it or feel yourself doing it. And she says, you take your finger, don't be disgusting, Tommy, you take your finger and you put it between the two front teeth, and then you take your finger out and try and rest like if you were watching television with that quarter-inch gap. Literally, just put your finger in and take it out and try because you're, most of the time our, our teeth are closed, our, you know, our mouth's closed. So it's just that relief if you're in the car or you're watching television and you think, God, my jaw hurts, just try it. Oh, my God, it works so much. It costs nothing. Absolutely. The one thing you can't do is to train your subconscious not to do it at night. Because um, I've, I've had yes, various dentists yeah. who do this. They, they all make me different bike plates um, to, yeah, to reduce yeah. it, which helps, but you get used to it. I wake up just hanging onto that bike plate. But, you know, they yeah. say, yeah, daytime, that, that is brilliant. And, and also it helps your face look better because you're not constantly you're not clenching. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, something going back to like our parents' age group, they had all this stuff. Um, you know, that was, I don't know if natural is the right word, but like I remember when my mum used to go out, we had an Indian restaurant in, um, I'm from the north of England, and there was an Indian restaurant and she used to go sneak in there to get something off this lady. And and one day I said, what do you get? She said, smell it, doesn't matter. And then I barged into the bedroom and (laughs) it was chili or paprika. So there was nothing, nothing bad. She wasn't yeah. getting heroin or something. And when she was going out to some party or something, she would rub chili oh, into her lips. Yeah. And and I don't know if you, I could, don't think I could tell the difference, but I guess you could. Jen, do you remember there was at one point, there was some. All those stinging lip glosses. That's what they use. Glosses, That's absolutely yeah. what they use. Um, 
you know, the, the elements, the ir- irritating elements, it's either from menthol or peppermint or chili, that kind of thing. I find I can't tolerate them because it makes your lips just sort of uh, vibrate with pain the whole time. But yeah, it's, it, it works and it, it stings them up. Does not sound pleasant at all. It, it's no fun. And But, you know, we all have a different tolerance for what we regard as a good thing. Because like you were saying earlier, you know, we used to think, certainly in the UK 30 years ago, that whitening your teeth was like, ooh, we wouldn't talk about that. And we used to to lie about dyeing our hair, like, oh no, these blonde bits, I just have been in the sun, you know. But now, um, and there's this huge line of what people find acceptable from makeup all the way through to cosmetic surgery. And there's a different point where we'll all stop on that line. And for most people, it's needle-based treatments. You know, they will be fine with maybe a bit of laser to take down their sunspots or um, radio frequency to stimulate collagen growth in the skin. It all sounds quite nice and natural. But as soon as it gets to injecting stuff to make you look different, I think that's where people find their natural um, resistance kicks in. A lot of us get past that and move on to to other things. Are but, people still doing facelift though? They, they, they... Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, all the, all the guys who are really good at facelifts in London, they they are all still as busy as ever. And a lot of them also will offer a bit of non-surgical stuff to. Um, help amplify the results of what they're doing. You know, if they've tightened the face up, they will often, uh, you know, physically with a lift, they will often then recondition the skin with laser or graft a bit of fat in at the same time to, um, you know, make the most of those results to help add, you know, because a facelift is going to tighten the skin, lift it back to where it used to look like, but it's not going to replace the kind of volume that we lose from our faces with age, we, we lose volume from our bones, you know, so our skull is basically shrinking inside our head. Um, and then the skin hangs a bit looser over it. Yeah, that's why it starts to drop gravity. Debbie's making a face. Melt off your face. Yeah. Okay, yes. speaking of making faces, before we part ways today, I want to ask you a question that you probably get asked a lot, but I'm actually genuinely very curious about this. What is, Alice, the worst thing as a person who is her own guinea pig for these journalistic explorations that you've ever done? That is a very good question. Um, I've had things that look bad, um, although I know that if they look bad, Instagram loves it. Nothing more than my ladies like than seeing me looking totally trashed. Um, (laughs) That's funny. There's been several things I've done that were pretty bad, which aren't available on the market anymore, interestingly. But um, this fool here rushed off to try them and write about them. There was one. There was one. (laughs) It's a perfectly decent treatment for reducing um, nerve pain in in, in knees um, by killing a portion of the nerve. Um, And it was touted as um, an alternative to... Uh, toxin injections for the forehead. What it involved was using a device that looked like a three-pronged fork, a very slim three-pronged fork, which was plunged into the side of your head just by your eyebrows so that it went across the path of the facial nerve uh, that runs up here. And then they passed um, liquid carbon dioxide through liquid nitrogen, probably colder, through the um through the prongs, not into your head, just through the prongs to super cool them. And that froze a tiny bit of the nerve. Wow. Um, which then cut off all movement ability up here. And so it sounds like something that would work. It, it worked. And and my it worked on one side because you got two branches of this nerve coming up here. 
And it worked on one side and this side, and it dropped. Um, the eyebrow went down quite heavily, sat very heavily there. Oh it didn't God. work on the other side. And they the protocol was only to have a certain number of, uh, of of goes with this before, like, that was it. You should can't do any more. You'll start killing skin tissue around here with all that cold. Um, so I had to, and, and I was filming it, and I was writing it up for a national newspaper, and I thought, oh dear, I'd been pestering the poor surgeon to let me try this for a year. And he'd very properly been saying, not until I finish my control group, not until I can see what the results are. But the one question I hadn't thought to ask beforehand was, um, can this work in part? Because I was then left with uh, one half of my forehead working normally and the other one down here. But oddly enough, people didn't notice. So what? Um, until I until I pointed it out and said, yeah, look, and 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 you know played with it and then they were like horrified oh look at that although one surgeon friend caught me at a conference later and i said hey you know look at my latest trick and he was very cross at me i saying you are an idiot that's permanent nerve damage and i said but but it'll it'll regrow and he said and how do you know that and he said, well because they oh my gosh that's terrifying they say that's in the marketing materials and he just he just said you know idiots um, and I felt I, I felt rather stupid after that. So there've been a lot of things that um, haven't worked so well, or that have um, had bad knock-on effects. It wasn't actually the treatment's fault that one of them just before lockdown, um, it scraped large patches of epithelium, which is the skin on your eyeballs, off my eyeballs, and oh. the shock of that. Oh, it was. Thank you. Yeah, it, was, it was really horrible. Just do that again. Your it was a procedure where I had to have, um, what are they called, corneal shields. Uh, they're like little metal contact lenses to protect the eyeball when there's lasering going on close to the eye. Wow. And I think they maybe they were left in too long. Maybe there wasn't enough lubricating liquid on them. Who knows? But the net result was when the anesthetic drops had been there, wore off. I was in absolute agony. The next morning I had to be rushed in to see a corneal surgeon who patched me up with bandage contact lenses and steroid drops and stuff. And I mean, it, it, was, it was excruciatingly uncomfortable. And it turned out, yeah, I had a six millimeter by eight millimeter patch of the epithelium, which is the skin on the eyeball missing on each side. And it took months and months. But the shock of that put me into some kind of PTSD. Sounds, sounds like overclaim for it. But I lay in bed kind of shaking and not able to do very much for months. I'm just going to call it and say that's the worst. That's worse than the facial nerve thing. I yeah. think that's worse than. The but it wasn't nerve. the it wasn't the treatment that did that. And I, you know, it it was, it, and all my eye surgeon friends, laser laser surgeon friends, were, were messaging saying, "Oh my god, this is terrible. We use those things the whole time. We have never seen this." So I think I was very unlucky. But it happened. Well, in the United States, you probably would have sued, and you'd be living in the country house of that practitioner right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wondered about that, um, but for various reasons, a uh, long, complicated story. But yeah, that was pretty bad. But um, and it's made me maybe a good deal more cautious because uh, you know, also as I get older, and I'm used to racing around and doing things at 100 miles an hour, and I'm very resilient. I'm quite physically fit, and I can you know push myself very hard. But I do now know. There are limits, and um, if I'm running my own business and I'm out of action for three months, it's not really 
not really ideal. So um, I try and make sure that I know a bit more about a procedure and how it's going to go before I step up for something like that. That's horrible. But let me just ask one more because I am. I we've had a lot of questions about this, and you've been you've been uh, talking on Instagram about it for a while. Is um is is thinning hair, hair loss, and and I was at the hairdressers on the King's Road uh, two weeks ago in London, and and the guy I asked him, I said, my hair since COVID seems to have gone so much because I have quite thick hair, but fine. Uh, well, it's all puffed up now because. Um, you know, but, it, but, you know, if I, it's not, it has lost a lot of its, its bounce. And, um, and he said, every other person, especially men are talking about this. So you've stuck, cause I'm really interested in this. You've started something where it's like a, a micro roller. Oh, I'm trying it. Yes, yes, yes. It's a growth factor serum yeah. from a company that's been making these things. I've, in fact, I've got some, yeah, with, with tiny thingies and it's not that painful. Actually, you have to put the serum on to that I'm putting it down my parting and I've got these kind of V-shaped patches where the hair goes back, hormonal Vs, the practitioner calls them, which, you know, is the start of female pattern baldness or whatever. So um, I'm treating those areas. You put serum on and then you microneedle it to make a lot of little tiny channels to get the serum into the skin. And then you put on more stuff and you do that twice a week um, for six weeks. And I'm seeing a lot of new hair growth, which is great because, I mean, I'm not the person who's most in need of that. You know, I've, you can see I've got, I've got great hair, lucky me. But I've got all these tiny ones that, that are regrowing. And, you know, I know from following the people who actually study this online, you know, they have um, a trial, a proper published trial showing the results um, that they've had with people who suffered hair loss as a result of COVID. So um, it, it's well worth knowing about. It's a bit of a palaver needling a scalp, but it's not that much of a palaver and it's a lot easier than a hair transplant. Yeah, you just divide the hair, you put the stuff on, you needle, 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 you put some more stuff in, you rub it in. Um, and why I was doing this was because I absolutely wanted to show for myself and also for people looking to say, you know, it is, it is growing. We're going to, you know. And you're doing this yourself. You don't have to go to a practitioner. I, I went to a practitioner to do the initial filming and they can add a practitioner they can use a professional microneedling device, but it costs an awful lot more than doing it at home. And um, so I, I went to have the sort of setup with that and to get their proper photographs. And I've got to go back and get some after photographs done so we can see the change that this has made. But no, it's really promising. And what I was most intrigued by is um, because I've seen a lot of the before and afters that the practitioners are working with this stuff. It's called calcium, what they've got over, over the years. Um, and in some of them, I'll say to the, the people, you know, th this stuff, um, th the after pictures, that, that hair, it was gray, it's now darker. Or is that hair repigmenting, basically? And they say, we can't claim that. And I say, but we can see it. And they say, yeah, we need to study it. Because if they are, encouraging the follicles to produce pigment, then these growth factors and exosomes and whatever else is in the serum is actually making that follicle act like a younger one. Wow. And it's what they're trying to do with skin cells the whole time, you know, make the older ones, G them up, give them more energy, make them behave like younger ones so they push out more collagen and look fresher and smoother. Um, but, yeah, and so the practitioner was who was uh, doing, doing my sort of assessment the other week said, do you know, some of these new baby hairs, they're not grey, and see, but the the bits where I've mostly been doing it, she did so. But it seems that a few of them are coming through a bit uh, more their natural colours. So I'm really interested in trying. To, I'm going to get my hair coloured 
professionally. And then so it's all the same all over. And then I'm going to carry on for another six weeks to see if I can spot any difference in where the regrowth is. Because as a potential, that seems very exciting. But I think most of us would settle for just having thicker hair and a firmer hairline. Yes, and using hair dyes and things. There is a positive to all this, I think. It's not just vanity. But, you know, anybody who's listening to this, I know would want us to stay on for hours and hours and hours because it's like going out for lunch with a girlfriend. It must be everybody's favorite topic. (laughs) I mean, it's just there's a million questions and and gossip. and and, um, But I think there is an amazing future because, you know, if you've got thinning hair, whether you've just had a baby or whether you're in menopause, you know, it's not nice. Whether, you know, if your skin looks dull, nobody wants that. If you've got acne and you've got scars, nobody wants that. So it's not something just to be, you know, to judge about it's something that we need to be careful to ignore. No, it, it's it's deeply um, affects people, affects us all psychologically. And when you know you're getting older, you see that widening parting. You know, there's all sorts of things you can try. You can start with rosemary oil. You know, there is a study that shows that rosemary oil can do something. Um, this is the very sort of high tech end of the spectrum. There's callosin stuff because it's exosomes and 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 growth factors and. Um, you know, biotech basically, but um, it's worth trying these things because they are out there. It's, it's like all these tweakers. There used to be nothing between skincare and a facelift, and now there's a raft of stuff. So whatever suits you, your budget, and your comfort levels, you could explore and have a play. And it gives us the opportunity to manage how we look as we age, and we didn't used to have that option. So that's what intrigues me about it. Well, thank you, Alice, for all of the work that you do to expose interesting and useful things and also to warn people against things that are dangerous because you come at this with real journalistic integrity and actual ethics. And I think that is a really clear path to education on the subject matter. And I hope that you'll come back again because as Debbie said, there is so much to talk about. We're going to need at least three episodes you can follow Alice like I do um, at the Tweakment Guide. Tweakment meaning T W E A K M E N T Guide on Instagram, and um, let us know your questions because uh, we won't tell anybody your name. <laughs> we, we won't post it. Um, but um, but yeah, it's fascinating, and and you know, it, it, it's a subject that can, it really is the good, the bad, and the ugly. And and it's really, I think, the most important thing. And you've learned your lessons is find a good person, a good practice, do your research. Take your time and do your research yeah. You yeah. Know, and, and, and stick with that person. I was at a dinner last night where the doctor speaking said the main problem people make is going to too many different practitioners, doctor hopping, because even if you've got three different ones and they're all artists at what they do working on your face, three artists on one picture is never going to be a happy whatever you want to um take it easy but thank you so much for having me and i would be delighted if you and your wonderful listeners are up for more just let me know what you want to know (laughs) i'd be delighted thank you thank you so much i can't wait to see you again and happy new year and to you find the trust me podcast wherever you get your podcast subscribe review leave us a voice note at the trustmepod.com or at the trustmepod on instagram I'm Sarah Burke, and I host the Women in Media podcast, where I'm exploring the challenges women face in the media spotlight and celebrating our triumphs. My guests come from radio, TV, news and sports, and we'll cover topics like leadership, 
diversity, stereotypes, and more. Most of all, I'm looking to build a community through a space where we can discuss anything. The Women in Media podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at womeninmedia.ca. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.